Hello and welcome. Oh my no. I'm Bartleby Nehi, and oh my yes, Artemis. Is that how this is going to go? I say one thing, and you say the opposite. Or maybe it's the other way around. You're doing it again. We're the Kinetic Paranormal Society, a pair of socks in a magic wardrobe, traveling through time and space, investigating the supernatural. You're just going to contradict me the whole time, aren't you? You're listening to Metacosmos, and no, Artemis, no, this isn't about contradicting each other. It's about, like, like building off of each other and being willing to interrogate our own beliefs so that we can maybe progress on our own karmic wheels and, you know, turn out to be a better person when we die. I don't know. Like, it's not a bad idea. Like, just because we don't agree every time, is, it's, it can be a good thing, actually. I don't agree with that. And let's challenge that idea. Let's explore whether or not this is a good or bad thing. And personally, Artemis, I, I got to admit, I, I think I've done a bad thing. What's that? Well, I made a New Year's resolution, and then, like, right after making my New Year's resolution, I failed to achieve my resolution, and now I'm feeling like maybe I ruined the entire chance of me being able to pull it off. Oh, Bartleby, no, don't think like that. New Year's resolutions have a certain quality of being pragmatic, so you, first of all, you should only make a resolution that you can get done in a practical manner, something that can be achieved. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the situation you're in now. What was it, Bartleby? And what did you resolve and, and misstep? Go ahead, why don't you tell us? Well, I decided that we were going to have a section for every episode about the High Inquisitor asking questions. And we just, like, two episodes ago, we were like, and the High Inquisitor asks our new segment on Metacosmos. And then last week, we didn't manage to do our new segment on Metacosmos, the first episode of the new year. We completely dropped the ball on this one. Or I completely dropped the ball on this one. Oh, Bartleby. I'm honestly really impressed that you're, you're owning up to it. You usually try to palm the mistakes off on me and then you... Own the successes for yourself. No, no, that's not what I do. No, but in this particular case, it was completely on me. I'm, I'm sorry, Ross. I failed you. And right after, I was making big promises. Well, is it too late? Can't we just perhaps resolve to do better from here on out? Why must the new year be on the 1st of January? Maybe the new year this year is going to happen on the 5th of January. Did you think about that? Wow. You know, yeah, going forward, this is, this is the day that our actions are going to be meaningful and account for stuff. Okay, yes. You know what, Artemis? I say we do it. We do a segment for Ross. It's time for... The High Inquisitor asks. High Inquisitor. Ah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you're really high up yeah. in the clouds. Yeah, yeah. With some deep thoughts. Yeah, I'm looking all the around. The High Inquisitor. I have been wondering what it would be like to perceive. That's one thing I've been thinking about lately. I kind of go in a different direction. And 
I was thinking that more than just asking a question from Ross, we could probably take from this pile of questions we have, because the High Inquisitor has a lot of questions, and we get them pretty regularly, even throughout the week. So thank you, High Inquisitor. Stay curious out there. Oh, goodness, this is a good number. Oh, these are long questions. Oh, my. Yeah, so I'm thinking, Artemis, that we use the format where you ask the question and then I answer it, because I'm good at that. I think I'm pretty good at answering questions. Uh, Yeah, well, you're pretty good at that. Yeah, but you're also better at reading questions than me. So I think it's a pretty, like, obvious structure here. Here you go. Here, take these. Oh, dear. And then just, you know, read me the questions from the top and then just work your way down. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, wait, hold on a second. What? I just remembered something. I have a little note here from Ross. What? I want to read you this little note here from Ross before we start. Okay, then. So, okay, the note says, I think you guys both answered the question about time and the wardrobe equally the same. I think that's because we had the same answer, didn't we? Well, I I made an answer and you told me it wasn't good enough. And then you answered it. And then I asked Ross which one was better. No, I just elaborated your answer because... You didn't clarify in what way the wardrobe was like time. Oh, is that what you did? Yes. Well, Ross liked both answers just as equally. He liked your incomplete answer just as much as he liked my elaborated and full complete answer. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how much Ross liked it. I, I don't. Bartleby, this this doesn't seem fair. I gave an actual answer, you gave a bad answer, and he liked them equally? Yeah, yeah, same answer. So, okay, Artemis, here you go. Here are Ross's questions, and you're going to read them. Oh, dear. Okay, then. <sighs> okay, the first question. Here we begin. Do you want to play questions? Yeah, I have a lot of questions. Ah, what? Why? Why not? What for? First, we need to make sure that they understand what a question is. Is there anyone else? What is the time? The first question is, what would it be like to perceive one physical object in four dimensions? For example, my boots are new now, but later they will be worn out. We can understand their depth, length, and width, but what would they look like if we factor in their timeth? but I don't think we have a proper word to take its place. Does any language have a word for that? Um, yeah. Actually, uh, Ross, the word you were looking for was duration. And duration is like the space within which the object exists within time. So that's its duration. We have a word for that. And, and many languages have different words for duration. But... I think it'd be really cool to really understand a word for what Ross is talking about because everything, like, exists from one point to the end point and, like, Ross's boots, they're going to be worn out like he was talking about and right now they're new and then there's like, going to be one day where they get a really big scuff on them, their first really big scuff and then progressively there's the soles are going to get worn down and the little bits of matter that were in the soles of the boots are going to be spread out Throughout the world in tiny itty bitties and the tiny itty bitties and 
everything is going to be like this this entropy scattering the boot across the universe until the boot is evenly spread to every corner of the universe and has taken every shape that it can somewhere in between there probably because this is a lot of stuff going on in the earth where this stuff kind of just gets used and rebuilt and reformulated because everyone's just borrowing the metabolic matter is that a word for it i don't know if that's the word for it anyways so what i would say is what we're describing is the metatemporal existence of the boot that the boot like when we become aware of the boot in the timeline that's the that's its metatemporal existence and if you were to try to measure the metatemporal existence you'd be measuring its duration but again because its duration is kind of like a line that fades out over time into entropy unless you like burn it really quick and then i guess then it's going to have a really really strong cutoff in its entropic temporal decay oh well wow that was a pretty good answer bartleby i think you've covered the bases on that one See, I told you I was good at answering questions. Well, that that was actually a very similar question to the how do we look at time as a physical space? And in this one, it's how do we look at an object as it exists within the physical space of time? Yeah, and it's kind of like, have you ever seen a cartoon where they had a character running so fast that they just animate all of the different placements of the character? in one blurry strip, and the blurry strip runs by, and the animators don't draw everything in the person running by that fast. They just draw a gooey, stretchy, blurry line of the person moving through the space. And that is, like, pretty much the same thing, because it's like looking at how that thing exists over time. So, yeah, I hope that makes you feel like you're getting your time's worth here on Metacosmos. Hi, Inquisitor. Uh, you want to read us the next question, Artemis? What does it all add up to? Who? How would I know? Why do you ask? Are you serious? For that matter. Do you have any questions? Here's the question. What is space? Oh, right. Here we have here. What's happening in our minds when we hit the limits of word-based thinking? Uh, that's a good one, Ross. Because sometimes you're like, oh, I've got all the words to think about the stuff I want to think about. And then sometimes you get to the point where you just don't have any words to account for that space. And honestly, I think that's, it doesn't mean you're not going to process it. But the part of your brain that's going to process it is not the part that uses words. You're going to end up doing it in your subconscious and your unconscious And you're probably even going to take actions that would, like, say a lot about what you think about the things that you can't talk about. So sometimes it'll be, like, long procrastinating forever on a project that you are got deep issues about both seeing like it's maybe not accomplishable or will be futile once it's done. So you're not in a hurry to get something done. You don't have the words to say, oh, that's just going to be futile when it's done. But you're like, oh, I just kept forgetting to do this thing that for some reason did not seem to get done. But really, it was like because you couldn't put to words how ridiculously pointless it would be to do it. And you're like, oh, God, it just would, we, we would never even take advantage of all the time I did to do that. So I'm just forgetting to do it. 
And then maybe circumstances change. And under a changed circumstance, maybe one, you find the words to describe it, or your subconscious is processing without the words and notices that the circumstances are changed and then just somehow remembers to do the chart because now it's going to be worth your time. So there's a lot of stuff going on that inside of your internal, uh, not monologue, because again, there's no log going on because you don't have the words, but inside of there, there's like, you know, it's kind of like everyone's got an internal mime doing like improv dance. And this improvisational dance mime is inside of you and is expressing itself in a really ridiculous and silly bit with white gloves on and a stripy shirt and maybe a beret. And so, and they have diamonds for tears. Anyways, so yeah, your inner dance mime is like going to interpret all of those feelings, maybe not as a monologue, but as an expression, and you're going to act on that. And so there is an entire uh, abstract interpretational dance inside of you that represents all the things that you don't know how to talk about. So good luck paying attention to that nonsense because we all know that mimes are a little bit off-the-wall bonkers and it's hard to understand them. But that's because they're talking about things in a way that's beyond words. Is that what mimes are doing? I don't think that's what they're doing. Read the next question, Artemis. Oh, right here. On to the next question. You have to ask questions. Do you have any other questions for me? Who do you think you are? Every question must have a definable answer and... What is that? Well... What are you driving at? I intend to find those answers. What's that? What in God's name is going on? What do you ask? What is it, Papa? And how can it be so powerful if it's invisible? All I do is ask questions, just like you do. That's the most important thing. Can you answer the question? Anybody could do that. Do you want to play questions? Okay, here we are. Is objective reality a thing? Or is reality necessarily influenced by perspective? Is that basically the age-old, if a tree falls in the woods, question? And there's a second part to the question here. It says, is objective reality... Just a finite amount of energy existing in a static, fourth-dimensional matrix, and literally everything else can be attributed to human perception and affectation? Oh, that's a very complicated two-part question. Yeah, so let's start at the top of that two-part question. Is objective reality a thing, or is reality necessarily influenced by perspective? And the other part says, is that all of the stuff that is just objectively reality, like the matter and the physical like stuff within time, and then all the stuff else is just us layering our feelings on top of it. I think that's what he's asking. Oh, yes. Okay, then. So, well, first of all, who knows if that stuff that you think is in the physical dimension is even in the physical dimension. Well, what about this table here? We've got a table here and some things placed on it, and the table holds those things up. So the table is here. Yes, okay, true. But what if the table isn't exactly what we think it is? Like, we see something here in front of us, but what if the table isn't exactly the way that we see it? Because the reality of reality that we're experiencing, the reason why it is not objective and it's subjective is because everybody 
is kind of trying their best to use their perceptual uh, senses to interpret reality into a simulation inside their own head that makes sense so that they can navigate the world that they're living in and that they become a participant in this common reality that no one can actually see because they're using limited senses. Some people are colorblind. Some people have, like, eardrums that are not hearing some pitches. And some people have, like, cultural exposure to, like, certain linguistic sounds that make them unable to hear other linguistic sounds. And so, as you got all of these different parts of these skewed perceptual senses, and so you're trying to figure out what reality is using those as your base for your tool. And then everybody then has to work from there. And so that's why everyone's like, oh, art is just subjective and not objective. I think there's a certain amount of objectivity to art, personally. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. But, like, what about someone who's colorblind and they look at something that everyone's like, oh, wow, look at how sublime the colors are. And they're like, I don't think those colors are sublime. And what if, like, a bunch of colorblind people made their own culture away from the color-seeing people of the world? They would make art differently, and the art they would make would probably not look objectively good to the people who are, maybe, see all of the colors of the spectrum. And that would be, like, where art is maybe not as objective and subjective. Okay, you make a good point there. But under a certain amount of perceptual common ground, there has to be a degree with which we can say that even the accomplishment of making the art is its own achievement. And that if somebody only has the ability to get their art made, for instance, in a rudimentary fashion, then can't we say that the rudimentary attempt at the art is not as good as someone who has refined the same expressions using time and an investment of their curiosity to make themselves a better producer of artwork? Wouldn't that make the person who has experience objectively better at the art form? Huh. But what about, like, a little kid who's really tapping into some essence of something and expressing it really real and vibing. Like, can't we just say that that kid's just as good as somebody who's, like, really been doing it a long time and has to, like, still struggle through all of their rigid form to, like, find that inner creative spark and just, like, make that and bring that forward? Like, they've got to pull the creative spark through a lot of formality and and structure of learned process where the little kid is just like pulling that pure spirit and just channeling it through grinding that crayon into the paper. That's like, isn't there like an equivalently the same part to it? Like who's to say which one is the purity of the art form and art itself? Like, I think it's pretty Hard to say, Artemis. That's all subjective stuff, see? Like, you think that maybe all the refined stuff, and I'm like, wow, that crayon art is amazing. You would think that, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, that's why it's objective and subjective. But there's something to be said about ability and craft. 
yeah, that it might cloud up the ability to be like creative and impulsive in the way that an artist can be a, a springed forth expression of their people. And that's, you know, a really important part of art is the way that the art connects to the people in the community that's with. And that doesn't have to have any like great process. It does have to have quite a bit of experience in feeling the community and expressing what is there. Well, you know, sometimes we get little prodigies, little kids that are just good at vibing. You, Bartleby, I'm fine, fine. Objective reality can't really be perceived. Yeah, so because of that, it's really hard to even say what is even the reality because maybe when we're like looking at the reality and it's there and it's being presented to us, maybe we're just not ready to even see it at all. And everyone's bias is blocking out the reality that's in front of them. And the entire universe is an expression of some divine force trying to say the meaning of the universe and give you a big hug and say, I love you. But there you are just kind of drowning in the things. And so all you hear is, do you want anything else with your order? And so you're like, no, that'll be fine. And they say, okay, your total is. But you really, you're like hearing the secrets of the universe in every sentence spoken to you. Um, and this is relating to Ross's question? Well, yeah, because... Like, everyone's like, what's that? And you're like, it's a table. And everyone's like, oh, that's the thing in the physical world. But what if it's just an expression of the divine? Uh-huh. And you never know. It could be that. It's like there's an opportunity. Since you're going to be experiencing your own subjective reality and, and seeing it that way, if you realize that it's a miracle that you're even seeing reality at all, you might approach your objective experience in a way that makes all of it beautiful. And all of it art. And then wouldn't that be a happier way since it's already subjective whether it's art or not? What if it could all be art and it could all be beautiful and it could all be an expression of the divine? Including suffering. Well, if we didn't suffer, we wouldn't have anyone to forgive. True. So I really appreciate you doing Metacosmos with me, Artemis. I don't appreciate doing Metacosmos. Maybe you'll forgive me for it one day. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, well, I hope that our listeners are more than forgiving us for Metacosmos. I hope that you guys are out there, you beautiful, super, super duper people out there, are, like, finishing this episode and being like, wow, I can't wait to share this reality with people in my life so that we can all subjectively experience this objectively fantastic podcast. And really want to say thank you to everybody out there who takes the time to, like, listen to these words that we have to share. And I hope that you can forgive Artemis for acting like we're wasting our time. I didn't say that. Yeah, you basically implied it. So, uh, thanks a lot, Artemis. But I forgive you. I really do. Wait a minute, what? And also, you know, support for Metacosmos comes from everyone who goes to patreon.com slash bluefoot and becomes a patron of Isaac Bluefoot, our producer who makes our website and all of our podcasts that you can find there. And he makes his own podcast, Superman, Son of L, the unauthorized biography of Clark Kent. And there he tells 
the story of Clark Kent and it's super wholesome and like exciting. And it's like an emotionally aware telling of what Clark's experiences are about. So you should totally listen to that at sunofalpodcast.com or just look up Superman, Son of Al, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's E-L, like Jarrell and Kalel and like E-L. You know, like the letters. Anyways, so yeah. And additional support for Metacosmos comes from Humboldt Hot Air. HumboldtHotAir.org is where you can listen to all sorts of cool stuff live, straight from Humboldt County, the bestest county, and like my favorite place to county. So, yeah, you guys are awesome. Thanks for listening, and I love you. Bartleby, this is objectively the worst podcast. Hold on. You're going to say it's objectively the worst. Yes, I I dare say there are objectively infinite podcasts better than this one. That's totally not fair. We just established that that's all subjective. <laughs>